The audio you are about to hear was recorded at the 2018 USA-Canada Region District Superintendent's Retreat in Carlsbad, California. Our prayer is that you are blessed by this message. The Spirit of the Almighty God is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to release the captive from oppression, to proclaim Jesus, our Jubilee. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Amen. Well, it's uh, the, the, the theme of the, there is, there is always a formal theme for the week, and the, the theme of, and there is an, an, an informal theme for the week. The, the informal, the, the formal theme is, this is us, and, uh, and by now you, you have been identified, you have identified some of the, of the characteristics of, that make us Nazarenes unique. And uh, there's also an informal theme, and the informal theme appears to be, hair. I was asked uh, last night at, at, at uh, dinner, so what happened to your hair? Now, that's an unfair question. Because we heard the first, uh, yesterday morning, we heard what, what one boat ride in, in the middle of the ocean can do to an, to an otherwise perfect hairdo. In fact, the saying is that Dr. Graves and I have one thing in common. We don't have one hair out of place. We also learned last night what one, one airplane, airplane ride and, and a small 10-seater can do to an otherwise nicely groomed blonde hair. So I, I decided to answer this question, what happened to my hair? So thanks to technology, I decided to go and, 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 to, and to, to do an analysis, a computerized analysis. What would have happened if I wouldn't have become a missionary 25 years ago? <laughs> but then again, we're going to do the same with Bob Broadbooks. One of the privileges of, of, of being part of, of, of having been, been given the opportunity to, to minister with and, 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 and around the pan-evangelical world is that it gives us an opportunity to really, truly test our doctrine. See, when we are among ourselves, when we are uh, preaching to the choir, you know, we are here, we are the protectors, we are the guardians of of, of of the articles of faith. We are the guardians of the doctrine, and to a great extent, we come here to get a refresher course on our doctrine. And then basically, we end up somehow preaching to the choir. But we often, when, when we are in environments that are not necessarily all Nazarene, all Christian holiness missional, all holiness people, then, then we are asked questions. We are, uh, we are asked questions from others. I had this opportunity of being asked the question 
Last, uh, last October, I had the, the very humbling privilege to, to be at, in, in Wittenberg, Germany, celebrating the 500 years of the Reformation. And, and I was invited to speak uh, on behalf of, of the Wesleyan family on, on the role of denominations. What does that mean to be a denomination? And, and it's interesting to discover we had a parade, literally a parade of speakers celebrating the Reformation from, from our Baptist uh, uh, Calvinistic Reformed believers to, to the most staunch fundamentalist uh, Pentecostal leaders. And, you know, there were many, many things that we have in common. Uh, we all subscribe to the creed of the apostles. And, and, and when it came to believing in, in, in the Trinity, a lot of us believe in the Trinity. And, and when, we comes, when, we, when it comes to, to being evangelical in nature and being evangelistic in, in nation, a lot of us do. But when it starts getting a little bit diluted or divisive or different, is when it comes to the witness of the Spirit. The witness of the Spirit is, is, is an essential, the, 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 the biblical understanding of, the, of what the Spirit is and does in our lives, it's, it's a very unique understanding in our family that makes us Nazarene, makes us Wesleyan people very uniquely centered in the Word of God. In fact, John Wesley was asked, this question. See, John Wesley got fascinated about the teachings of the witness of the Spirit because the, in, in his book, Susanna Wesley, Charles Ludwig, he tells us the story of what happened in October of 1735. The record is that, that John and Charles Wesley took a ship from England and, and they traveled to the state of Georgia and it was their missionary trip. It was in the third month of their, of their journey across the ocean that their, their ship, the, the Simons, was confronted by, by, a, by a huge storm. It was so large, the storm, that, uh, that the, the actual waters broke part of the ship. In fact, it was slipped in mid-sail and, and in pieces, and, 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 and parts of the ship were covering covering it, and people started, all the English people in, in the boat, they started screaming, including John and Charles Wesley. But the Moravian Christians, they remain on board calmly, and they started singing hymns and praying. Now, the behavior of the, of the Moravians kind of uh, called John Wesley's attention, so he approached Mr. Spangenberg, and he asked him the question, uh, why are you, where does this serenity come from? Why are you so calm in the middle of this storm? In reply, this Moravian unknown pastor asked John Wesley, have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit bear witness that you are a child of God? This Moravian pastor, he answered a question with a question. Are you sure? The, the question that, that he was asked was, how do you know how do you know that you are a child of God? 
How do you know that you are on the right? See, that question is still a relevant question. We are asked the question. See, when we are among us, you know, we, we don't dare asking that question because there is the, there is the presupposition that we are children of God. And, and so we, we are, but, but see, outside... Our own children, our friends who are non-believers, our, our co-workers, they ask the question, so, so how do you know? It's a good question. How do you know? Well, of course, <laughs> John Wesley eventually went back to England after his stint as a missionary. One may say he's failed stint as a missionary in the Americas, went back to England, was, was really captured by the question. Now, we could be here and we could, uh, we could just make it a, an academic exercise, the answering of the question. We could refer to our Sunday school teachings of the answering to the question. But the reality is that when we're in our solitude... We are often asked the question, how do you know? I, also, I was also confronted with a second question. In, in, in 1983, when, when, I, when I became a believer, uh, I got a, you know my story. I grew up in the Church of Nazarene. I was going to, to, to use the same story that Dr. Busick used. I was raised in the Church of Nazarene, I, except that I was, I was not a Christian. I was a Nazarene, but I was not a Christian. You know my story, many of you. In April of, 90, of 1983, I received the Lord, and, and, and then I was discipled. It was fascinating. It was fascinating because having been raised in the Church of Nazarene, I received the Lord in, in, a, in a Calvinistic youth camp. I was discipled by a Presbyterian friend. And I was part of this group, and I was a Nazarene. I was a Nazarene member, and I was a Nazarene youth leader, and, and then we are in this, in this group of college students who, who gather for discipleship. We are at the house of, of this friend of mine. Uh, his father used to be the, the minister of culture for the nation, and he was a, a well-known evangelical leader. And he just walked by. He just walked by the room where all of us students, architecture students, were just talking Bible stuff and and then he had a he had a head count. He knew everybody in the group, and and he knew Ricardo, and 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 he he knew Mo, and 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 so he started. And every time he would just come, and and he saw me, and he said, eh, "And you are?" And I said, "I'm Gustavo." Hi, Gustavo. And uh, and he said, uh, "What what are you?" I said, "I'm a Nazarene." And he said, "And you are the most what?" And I kind of. Uh, I knew he was kind of cynical. He still is. He was kind of cynical, and, and, and I knew that he was kind of uh, probing uh, our, our identity. And, and, you know, before he even said, you know, you are the most what? I said, holy, I said. <laughs> because I knew that that was our doctrine. He said, oh, you got me. He said, because they are the, they are the most uh, they are, the, they are, they are, the, they are the, the hottest, they are the, the deepest, and you are the holiest, he said. But our conversation started going deeper, and then we, our, we were okay. We were okay with all this group of pan-evangelical colleagues. 
until we started talking about the external evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what got very confusing for many and got very difficult. So the first question, the first question, how do you know? How do you know that you are a child of God? Is an important question, is an important question even today, even for us. But there's a second question, is the, the question the world is asking us. So how, how do they know that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? To answer this question, I want to walk with you to the scripture in Acts chapter 4, verse 8 to 13. It's the story of the, of the church after the Pentecost. It's the story of, of, of people of the Spirit after the upper room. After the manifestations in the upper room. It's the story of people in the marketplace, people on the street, people in the courthouse, people with normal people. This is the story of people after the Kumbaya experience. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stand before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, a rock. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now I want you to, to understand that, that this event happened. This event happened several days after the Pentecost. A, a lot of us, and, and you remember that our roots, we, we, we were established as the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. Because we are a church of the Spirit. We believe in the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is essential, is essential in the life of the church. Is, is the presence of the Trinity in us, in his church. The reason we took the name Pentecostal out from our name is because of the neo-charismatic expressions and interpretations of the word Pentecostal. But we're talking about here people of the Pentecost, people who have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, they have been filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room. But they were still 
filled with the Holy Spirit after the upper room on their daily walk. In fact, they had been, the, the scripture in, in the, the first, the, the chapter 3 tells us that they went to the temple and they went to the temple just business as usual. Big difference. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went to the temple and now they, they found this beggar. You know the story. They told the beggar, silver, gold, we have not. But in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the scripture says that not only they, they, they encouraged them, they, they healed him by the power of Jesus Christ. They embraced him. They took him into the fellowship. Now, this is an interesting commentary because, because the, the leaders of that time, the religious leaders, they were not too concerned about the miracle, but about the fact that they had invited the beggar to the fellowship. So now they put him in prison. And they're asking them, on the, what authority are you doing this? And they were basically going to chastise them. And it's interesting that now Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, who just 50 or so days ago had denied Jesus Christ, the same one who had said, I don't know him, coward Peter, impulsive Peter, the one who three times said, I do not know him, now he is filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's put this on a side for a second. Because I want to emphasize the difference that we are facing in the church, even, our, even in the church of the Nazarene today. In a search for revival in the church of the Nazarene in the West, even in North America, particularly in Latin America and in Asia, we are finding, we are confused between manifestations and the evidence of the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of us are now looking for the emotion, the emotion, the high, the Pentecost high, and even we even invite preachers. We DSs, we pastors here in the U.S. and Canada, we invite preachers who could come and take us to the experience of the Holy Spirit. And we are enamored with manifestations. Now, don't get me wrong, manifestations do happen because the Spirit of God is sovereign and He chooses how, when, and where to manifest Himself. And we have no authority over Him. But those are manifestations. So manifestations, for, for one, manifestations are culture-bound. The same event, the same event will have a different manifestation in different cultures. Oh, I, I can tell you about this. I don't know if you like soccer, but, but the World Cup is going to happen this year again in Russia. The U.S. didn't make it. Too bad, but I'm still going to watch it. So, in soccer, uh, those of us who like soccer, we, we, I personally, there are two ways to watch soccer. One, you could turn in on ESPN, and, and, the, and, the, and the, the, this is the way it's going to happen. Alexis Lalas is going to be there. And gonna, Alexis, what do you think? Here goes, here goes. There's a player, and there's a player. And look, there's a goal. What do you think, Alexis? Well, there was a goal. It, it, was, it was awesome. If you, see, if you see, he kicked it with, 
with the heel. It was a great goal, you know. And now we give statistics. This is seven goals, nine, nine assists, top of the line. Now, that's, that's ESPN. Now, if you go to Univision, the Mexican channel, this, the same event, and here goes the ball, the level of the pass, the goal, the ball, the level the goal! I mean, you go to the bathroom, you come back, and the guy is still, now, now, let me tell you this, is the same event. Is the same event. The event was somebody scored a goal. It's a big difference. In the, in the, in the, in the, in the Anglo culture, you are supposed to show your emotions very carefully in a measured way. In the Latin culture, we just go bananas. It's the same event. And, and, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, there are manifestations that in this culture will not be fitting for this culture, but in other cultures, they are just normal. They are manifestations. Manifestations are context-defined. They are for that context. If you look at Acts chapter 2, some of the things that happened in that context, it was important. It was important for people to, to speak in the languages of the guests. We call it the speaking in tongues. But it, it, was, it was for the context. You got to remember that the day of Pentecost was important because that was the, that was the second most important feast after the feast of the Passover. But during the feast of the Passover, well, that was the most important, was the least, the, the least attended. The feast of the Pentecost was the most attended because the weather was awesome. It was, it was almost like if we tried to, to do this meeting in, in Wisconsin in January. That's going to be our feast of the Passover. But if we do this, this event, it, and, and we do it now, and, and we do it in the Caribbean, it's going to be well attended your pastors will want to come with you. And that was the, that was the, the, that was the Feast of Pentecost. The weather was, was ideal. People would come from all, all, the, all over the world of that time. They will come to celebrate the Pentecost. That was already a feast. The 50 days, Pente, 50 days after the Passover. And they would come and God uses our human feasts. He used the Passover to remind us of the, of the sacrifice of Christ. And now he uses the feast of, of the Pentecost to just come and establish the church. And in the Pentecost, they are speaking in the language that the Medes and the Persians and the Arabs and everybody will hear. It was, it's an evidence, it, it's not an evidence, it's a manifestation that was defined to that context. Manifestations are also time-framed. They are for such a time as this. It was for that time. Some of you were part of the, of the Asbury revival. Some of you were part of the Olivet revival. Some of you were part of the, of the Edinburgh revival. No, you're not that old, but some of you may have. Some of you were part of something that happened at that time, and you know that there were certain manifestations that happened at that time. They were so unique, but you're not to mandate them or to replicate them. Manifestations are personality specific. 
you know, in, in my family, some of us are more stoic than others. In my own family, it's eight of us, so there's enough variety. There are blondes in my family, and, and there's a brother who is darker skinned than me. I mean, that's the Crocker and the Sagastume. I mean, it's just the whole spectrum. And also the personalities. There are some of us who are just more stoic than others. I was just visiting my cousin, my cousin Elvis. I was wearing my, my blue suede shoes here in, 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 in Aliso Viejo. He, he lives, he's a realtor here in, in Orange County. And I was visiting him. He lived in our house for three years when he was going to, to high school. He came from the countryside, lived there with us. And, and, and so we, we greeted each other. We hadn't seen each other. And, and I go and I go like this to hug him. And he goes like this. He's my cousin <laughs> from Guatemala. And so, and Rachel is the hugger of the family. Rachel, she saw that he was just not about to hug her. After two days, we said goodbye. So, I hugged him again, and he was like, and he's my cousin. But his personality, he's stoic by nature. And so, the Spirit will choose to manifest himself in him differently than in me. Those are manifestations. Evidence is a different thing. I, I, I got to, to see this idea of manifestations while, while being in, in, in Nepal with Dr. Jim Deal. We travel. The reason every, the Lord told people to travel in pairs is so that we could bear witness to the story. If Dr. Deal tells the story... Why are you laughing? <laughs> and if I tell the story, you get a story. So it was the two of us. It was at the district assembly in Nepal. The church of Nazarene had been in Nepal only for three years. Christianity had been banned in Nepal for centuries. And finally, they opened to Christianity in the year 2000. And Nazarenes were among the first to go to Nepal, to the otherwise Hindu kingdom of Nepal. We had about, about uh, 50 churches and about a couple of thousand believers. And we had our second district assembly. We went to the district assembly with Dr. Deal. I mean, it was kind of strange setting because... Here, you keep your shoes on and you uncover your head. In Nepal, with a temperature of 28 Fahrenheit, they uncover their feet and they cover their heads. I didn't get it. I didn't have the right socks, so I was kind, it was kind of cold. And Dr. Deal had asked me, asked me to preach the devotions for the assembly that morning. I had prepared a 15-minute de de devotion, and as we were driving the Spirit, the Spirit literally spoke to me something that I never thought I was going to hear, and it was very audible. They haven't heard of the Spirit of God. See, it was a three-year-old church. They had just been used to the name of Jesus. They, they have heard about salvation, but they have not heard of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and in the 15-minute drive from the hotel to, to the to the assembly, the Lord changed my sermon and he said, you are going to speak about the coming of the Holy Spirit. They need to hear about the Holy Spirit. So 
So I preached a 15-minute sermon on the preaching of the Holy, on the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then, then I was prompted by the Spirit to ask Dr. Deal to come and, and lead in prayer, and, and he invited people to receive the Holy Spirit, and the altar was full with people. I mean, it was 150 people, and it was something that I had never seen before, not even during my own experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It was, it was a white curtain that I could see, and it was splendor. Everybody had like this, this beautiful aura, this, this, this aura around them, and it was awesome. And we are praying, and you know what? There was, in the north, in, in, on the highlands, it's quite noisy everywhere. I mean, people have their dogs and everything and the children, but there was a silence, absolute silence. And people were there, and I know that I know that I know that the Spirit of God was present. It was not until we heard, in the middle of all this prayer, and I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm on my knees, and, and the, the guests, were, we're on our knees, and Dr. Deal is, he is just ministering to people, and they are receiving the Holy Spirit. And there is no, there is no wind, there is no fire, there is light. That's all there is. When we heard this, this scream, it was like from the horror movies. It was like a high pitch. It, it's, it's, it was bothering to the ears. It, it, a human, human mouth cannot utter that, that high pitch. We just heard it. And that distracted us. And so we all, you know, in the middle of the prayer and all this light and, and the curtain, all of this, we see this woman. She, it was this woman who was shaking like if she, it was a snake. Well, Dr. Deal looked at me and he smiled. And he was kind of a nervous smile. I, I smile back. And then, then we both pulled rank. We told the missionary, Ron Gilbert, who used to be a... Pol <laughs> he used to be a policeman in Dallas. Big guy. We said, well, take care of that brother while we minister here. And then... We down below the platform, and, and he just tried to reach at the woman, and boom, he just comes back. So he pulled rank. We told the district superintendent and the district secretary, and they went, and they basically just grabbed her, and she stood up, and when she stood up, she had a, the hair was like, like a tree, like a medusa. It was kind of interesting, like an afro, woo, huge. And, you know, we kind of ignored it. We kept on praying. I remember praying for this 12, 13-year-old girl. And as, I, as I, was, I was praying over her, it was almost like if I was touching a, a lamp. It was awesome. Well, it was 30 minutes of Pentecost. After that 30 minutes, the lady came and walked and her hair was as smooth as silk. She walked in and went to the place where she had been shaking, convulsing. Later at lunch, I asked the district superintendent what happened. And he said, well, you know, she told us that, uh, that when the prayer was going on and, and people were invited to come and receive the Holy Spirit, that she saw this curtain of light and she wanted to come in. So she walked in. Now, I'm telling you this story because Dr. Deal was there and Hermann Geschwantner, a German and American in Guatemala. There were three of us to verify this story. The woman came and she, and, and she said, I saw this curtain. But this woman had just become a, a, a believer three months before. She, she was a Hindu worshiper. She had received Jesus Christ. 
But in the Hindu context, receiving Christ is not enough. You must be baptized. It's, the, it's, it's, it's an important declaration because they receive Jesus Christ and Jesus is another God. And baptism is so essential in the Hindu context because that's when they say, I renounce to all gods and now Jesus Christ is my only and sufficient Lord and Savior. So, three months being a Christian, but she still had some issues with the Spirit. And as when, she was in, when they were invited to come into the holy presence of God, she entered into this holy place. And there were things that they were not right with her. She says, I felt something that came into my heart and came out of my head. Oh, that explains the afro. <laughs> and I discovered that the Spirit of God does not tolerate roommates. He dwells in empty Empty places where he and only he can be the sovereign, the sovereign dweller. Now, but these, my friends, these were manifestations. I cannot come and tell you that, that, that therefore we got to pray people through until they have a halo on their heads. I cannot come and all of a sudden start the new, the, the, the new trend, the new fad to say that, come, I'm going to touch your head and then you're going to start shaking until you get it out. That will be me assuming the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sovereign and he will decide when, how, and where to manifest himself. If he chooses to do so here today, praise be to God. And if he decides to manifest himself in ways that are weird to us, press be to God. I'm not going to promote them. I'm not going to preach them because they are manifestations. They are culture-bound, context-defined, time-framed, and personality-specific. But the evidence, the evidence of the Holy Spirit is universal. It's for everyone. Applies to all contexts. You either are or you're not. It's timeless. It was good for the church, for the early church. It was good for the church in medieval times. It was good for the church during the camp meeting times. It is good for the church today. The evidence is good for the church today. And it's for all people and all personalities. If the Spirit of God fills you, the evidence, the evidence is going to be such that people will know. So, the first evidence, the first evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the first evidence of the Spirit is, is the witness within. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he stood up and he said, salvation belongs in no one else. See, the witness of the Spirit Peter now had the presence of the Holy Spirit in him that bore witness that he was a child of God. He was saying with boldness, there is salvation is in no one else but in Christ. I know so. In other words, the first evidence is the assurance of one's salvation. The inner witness of the Spirit. Paul writes to the Romans and he says, the Spirit himself is not what you say. 
It's not what you say. It's not what you think. The Spirit Himself bears witness. He testifies within you. In other words, is the Spirit gives you the conviction. The Spirit gives you the certainty. The Spirit gives you the assurance that you are His child. Here's the question. Here's the question for you. Have you the witness within yourself? I'm not asking you if you're a Christian. Forgive me, but... Christian is, being a Christian, that's a slogan. Jesus Christ did not come to establish a religion. I'm sorry. He's, he came to establish a relationship with the Father. He came, he came to establish, to make you a child of God. He didn't come to make you a Christian. The title was given later. I'm not asking you, are you a Nazarene? I, want you, I don't want you to go ask your pastors, are you Nazarenes? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I knew the manual before I was a convert. The first evidence, we call it the first work of grace, is the assurance of the assurance of the assurance that you have been saved by grace that you have accepted it by faith and that now you have the conviction in your heart that you are a child of God. John Wesley called this the doctrine of the witness of the Spirit. He, he said that first, first of all, it starts, it starts with the testimony of God's Spirit in each believer. The Spirit will tell each one of you, each one of you, He will say every day, He will remind you, you are my child. When you are through trials and tribulations, when you have doubts, when you are walking through, the, even through the valley of shadow of death, he will remind you and say, you are a child of God. Praise be to God. The witness within grows by meditating in God's word and, and, and that God's word and the reason gives you an understanding of that reality. The Apostle Peter says, do not, just, do not just stay with faith. The witness of the Spirit starts with the faith and, and, and then tells you you are a child of God. But he says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and, and, to, and to knowledge perseverance and to perseverance self-control and to self-control love. For if you abound in these measures, then then you're going to be assured of that witness of the Spirit in you. And then if you have this, if you are able to answer the question, the, the, the book Susanna Wesley, this tells us that, that when John Wesley was asked that question, he was troubled. He said, well, I hope. And he went back to England and he started and he went on his knees until he had the assurance of his salvation. Then, once he had this assurance of the first work of grace, he went on his knees. And then he asked to be sanctified holy. And then, and then his, the Spirit of God started bearing witness so that now his Spirit was bearing witness to the world. Which allowed him 
to answer the second question. The evidence that others see. The scripture says that Peter stood up and spoke boldly. And he starts by saying, filled with the Holy Spirit, he stood up and told him. And the scripture says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, once we have the Spirit in us, once we are assured of the witness within, then there is an external evidence that people will see. The first is the courage, the boldness to witness. See, Peter, coward Peter, the one who said, I don't know her, I don't know him. He even changed his accent when he was asked. That same Peter, coward, impulsive Peter, now he is standing up bold and he is saying, you have destroyed him, but he is not, he is indestructible. You disposed of that stone and he has become the cornerstone. It is in his name. And then he had the boldness. The boldness to witness. He was basically saying, it is in his name that I stand here in front of you. What a change. Pre-Pentecost. Three years in seminary. Three years in the best of seminaries. Had not changed this man. He still, after three years, he was still impulsive, doubtful, violent, wishy-washy. But then, in the upper room, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that changed, that changed that Peter man. And now he stands up with boldness to witness. My friends, yesterday morning we were reminded of the courage that is needed for such a time as this. We need the courage to, to go back to whatever works. To go back to whatever is needed. To go back to whatever, whatever platform we need so that we could stand like Peter and acquire the boldness to witness. The evidence, the evidence, the universal evidence, the cross-cultural evidence, the timeless evidence that we are filled with the Holy Spirit is that we all can and should naturally have the boldness to witness. The, the second thing that, that happens when that others see is extraordinary transformation. They realize that they were unschooled, ordinary people. In other words, they were nobodies. And it's true. See, during the time I, I was in Germany, and, and when we lived in Germany, we realized that the educational system in Germany is similar to what Jesus Christ went through and the disciples went through during his time. In Germany, you start, you have your kids, and when they turn 10, on, when they finished fourth grade, they are tested. They are tested, and if, if in the testing, if they do not have what it takes to go to university, then they just put them on either, either Realschule, or vocational school. Real Schule is for late bloomers. 
They said, when you reach 10th grade, we're going to retest you to see if you may make it to college. But if not, we're going to put you into a track for a social degree. And if you didn't grade well when you were in fourth grade, in, in, when you were 10 years old, then they will send you to trade school. They will send, they will send you to be an auto mechanic or to be, and, and I remember I was in Germany and I asked this guy who was doing an excellent work framing my pictures, and I asked him, do you speak English? And he said, no. So I asked him in German, so I, I said, and you do a great job, where do you learn that? And he said, fourth grade, bad score. That still happens today. That happened during the time of Jesus Christ. If, if, you, if you were a boy, to begin with, you had to be a boy. If you were a boy, and if you had pedigree, if you came from a lineage of rabbinic families, and if you had gray matter, and if you had a referral, then you would go to rabbinic school. Jesus was a rabbi. But if you didn't, after age 12, if you didn't have all of this, rather than going to rabbinic school, you were supposed to learn your father's trade. If your dad was a, was, was a carpenter, you would be a carpenter. If, you, if your dad was a, ma a mason, you were a mason. And, you know, and, and Jesus was a carpenter, by the way. So if, if you did not have what it took to be a rabbi, then they sent you to trade school at your dad's trade. You were an apprentice of your dad's own business. But if your dad didn't have a trade or a business or a shop, then your option, your last option was to be either a fisherman or a farmer. In other words, to be, if you were a nobody, you were a fisherman and a farmer. Guess what? Peter and John were fishermen. They were nobodies. They didn't have their degrees. They didn't go to theology school. They were not smart people. But they were astonished because they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men who were standing before them. Because you know what? Let me tell you, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit turns the most ordinary thing into the most precious resource for the kingdom. And that's you and me. See, you and I, we are at our best when we feel worthless. We are at our best when we feel that we do not have what it takes to carry on the mission of God. But it is when we say, Lord, I am at my wit's end that then he takes control. And he says, now let me do it. He turns ordinary people into extraordinary witness of the kingdom of God. That's why we are saddened when we see that in the church in North America, we no longer have stories of transformation. We can no longer testify. You know what happens? It, what happens is that we have not taken people to the upper room. We have not led people to the experience of the infilled spirit life. And the third evidence is holiness. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Christ-likeness is an evidence, is, is, a, is a global evidence, is a universal evidence, is a timeless evidence, is, is a cross-cultural, cross-generational evidence that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Because Christ-likeness, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, basically you have emptied yourself of self. And you have told the Spirit of God, less, none of me and all of you. And so people will no longer see me. People will see Jesus. So here's my question. Who do, who do people see when they see you? This, my friends, is the million-dollar question. When people see you, who do they see? When they hear you, who do they hear? When, they, when, they, when, they, when you act, who do they witness? John says, for, for it is imperative that I decrease and that you increase. The Apostle Paul defined, defined Christ-likeness, holiness, as I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but He lives in me, through me. People see Jesus in me. They took note that this man has been with Jesus. They were Christ-like disciples. They looked like Jesus. The Spirit of God was speaking through them. Brothers and sisters, what do others see? I believe that uh, the church of the Nazarene, the Lord has given the church of the Nazarene a message that is relevant, that is current, and that is needed in our generation. Unfortunately, in our quest for revival and renewal, some of us are searching for manifestations. And we go from event to event and we go from Pentecost to Pentecost. My friends, we need a total surrender. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need, we need to be a, a, a spirit-filled church that is going to be so spirit-filled today and tomorrow. And the day after tomorrow. And we need that for our pastors. And we need it for every believer Moses was confronted with the question when 70 of the leaders prophesied in the tabernacle. And one of them came to complain to Moses because two of them, Eldad and Medad, they had been filled with the Spirit of God and they were prophesying when they were outside in the camp. And someone probably was from the church board or some from a DAB or probably from the GMC came to Moses and said, Stop him, stop him. They are not meeting, the, they are not filling out all their right boxes. And Moses responded to him, and what is with you? I wish that everyone will be filled with the Spirit of God and that they all would prophesy. The witness of the Spirit is a sound biblical doctrine of the Church of the Nazarene. We do not have to be looking for the latest manifestation. We don't have to be looking for the latest fad. We don't have been looking for the latest prophet that can anoint, anoint people. We have to look for the presence of the Spirit of God. We need to pray to preach to our pastors and we need to preach to our lay people that it is possible today if we just surrender ourselves and we let the Spirit of God fill us. And then, then 
we will be able to answer the question. Have you the witness within you? I'm here to tell you that I do. I struggled with it. I struggled with it when I was a teenager. Because I was so far away from the Lord and somebody told me, one of those Pentecostal friends told me, Ooh, man, you're never going to be saved. And for four years I wanted to come to the altar and I was reminded, eh, eh, Man, you're, you're such a mess. Eh, it ain't going to happen. And one day the Spirit gave me the witness that I am a child of God. Have you the witness in you? And here's the second question. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm not asking you if, if you had your upper room experience. If you are an, an elder and a district superintendent, you know that you, you must have had it 50 years ago. Whenever you were ordained, that was, that was part of the checklist. But, but here's the problem, my friends. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing. One day we were filled with the Holy Spirit and then we started whatever manifestation we had. Some of us cried, some of us yelled, some of us had the hanky, I don't know. Whatever manifestation was around you during those days, there has been an evidence that has been timeless for you. But probably, even though you have experienced that, some of us are dry. I know so because I've been with ministers. I was reminded of, of this tanker in Guatemala. There, there's, there's, there's a desert part between, between the coast and the main, in the main city. And there was, there was this gas tank that was carrying gas back and forth. It was carrying gasoline, 89 octane gasoline. But the truck was working, the, the engine of the truck was diesel. And the gauge on the truck, like good, a good watermelon, the, the gauge on the truck was not working properly. And in between El Rancho and Puerto Barrios, in that desert, the poor truck ran out of diesel. But it was full, but it was full of gas. <laughs> the irony, the paradox, there was a picture in the newspaper of, this, of the trucker. He's sitting there by the roadside, asking for help for somebody to, to give him some diesel. And the irony is that the tank, the tank has hundreds of gallons of fuel for other cars. And I was reminded of many ministers that I have met. That one day they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And day in and day out, they carried the tank from assembly to assembly, from church to church, from event to event, and one day I see them sitting next to the road with a tank full of gas to inspire crowds, but with their own empty tank.